Welcome everybody to the Hustling Sideways podcast. I'm Alan Hallis. I'm a writer here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm here with... Uh, is that my turn? That's you. That's uh, you. Uh, my, I, my name is Jim Love, and uh, I am a motivational speaker and a keynote speaker, and I write stuff, and I do a lot for my company called Authentically You. Yes, and uh, and together this is the Hustling Sideways podcast where we explore the the passions and the side projects, the side hustles, whatever they may be, of ourselves and people that we know. And Absolutely, we and are we've got a we got a great show today. Number six uh, show. This is yes. number six. This is six. And um, if if we didn't have an audience listening, what I would say is that we haven't recorded in a while. Yeah, um, but don't like don't tell them. We oh, we that. shouldn't because we're just like. You know, we're kind of like being like, oh, we've been doing this every oh, week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Know? But like it hasn't. We yeah, took a I while. know. We, there was a couple weeks in between. Yeah, like yeah. a while. You know, so just, but don't, I won't, I just won't. Oh, don't worry. Up. We'll add it all that out yep. later. We'll yeah, be good. No. We'll be good. Sure. Awesome. Sure. So we are so happy to be back. Um, if you don't think that's funny, I'm sorry. I think it was. But, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we're super pumped. So today, um, I want to give a quick backstory to this because I think it's really cool. So Alan and I both went to Marquette University, which is a basketball school, as some of you may know. And <laughs> um, unfortunately, the last couple of years, uh, and now that the person who I think is responsible for that is no longer working at the school, which is great, but the team has not been that good. Let's just, you know, be, it's been a couple down years. Been it, tough. Uh, been tough. Yeah. Not like the years where we, I, I mean, I always brag about they sent six players to the NBA in the four years that both Jim and I attended. Exactly. And it, it would have been seven, but I chose to stay in school for senior year. Oh, so I do remember that. I didn't go to the draft. Yeah. That was a, that yeah. was a big moment. Yeah. You and, said uh, your arm. It was the yeah, thing with your arm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it could have been seven. It is six. Here I am yeah. doing, doing a podcast instead. <laughs> we're, we're good. But um, so moral story. Yeah. So the team was great when we were in college, been a little down low, but, but ready, you know, ready for, for new pastures. However, that being said, there is a different Marquette team. Um, who is filled up with alumni who are not Alan or Jim. No. Uh, and they are, are players who used to play uh, at Marquette who are now, some of them used to play in the NBA, some of them are playing overseas, but they come together uh, every summer mm-hmm. since 2016 when they first started. I think it was 2016 Something when, like when Marquette that, yeah. came in. Uh, and, and it's guys who we went to college with and, and um, you know, Jamil Wilson and, and Devontae Gardner was on a team. You had Travis Diener, you know, a bunch of these guys who are kind of Marquette folklore. And they play in this tournament called the basketball tournament or TBT, uh, which, you know, literally the, the basketball tournament. And, um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, 32 teams enter and they play for either a million dollars or $2 million, depending on the year that they split up. So it's like a big deal. Like they're playing yeah. for, for cashola, if it's you will. It's something completely unlike any other conventional basketball 100%. tournament in the sense of it happens in the off season and the level of play is unbelievable the level of intensity it's wild uh, it's i actually intensity. went to one of the games it was in chicago and we were playing michigan state okay. and we were going bonkers it was like it was like that first summer we, we marquette people all over the place we won it was like and they were really i mean there was like arguments on the court it was, it was awesome yeah. so um marquette's made at least the elite eight every year they made the final four once they made a championship two years in a row so they're really good now they lost a championship in 2019 but in 2020 they won the championship and yes. it was like, obviously 2020 was filled with everything that was not fun. So like having a thing to root for was amazing. Now, the big thing with this tournament is there is a, a different ending for it, right? Yeah, so it's something completely unique to the game 
in the sense that there's not four traditional quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, the most of the game is, is well, there fairly... there are four. There's four quarters for these, but not two halves like there are. Right, right, for, right. I know yes. what you meant. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, the ending of the game, though, however, mm-hmm. is something called the Elam ending. Correct. So the way the Elam ending works is at the under four timeout. Um, which for those of you who don't know, usually that's a media timeout. Uh, at the first whistle with under four minutes to go, they take the score. And so whoever's winning, so let's say the score is 82 to 80 at, at the under four timeout. And they add eight points to, to, this, to the leading score. So that, that would mean 90, 82 plus eight. I just right. did that in my head. No big deal. Uh, would be 90. <laughs> so 90 is the target score. So the first team to hit 90 wins like a walk-off home run if you will uh, yeah so it takes away from the fouling and like the nine hours it takes to end games it um, ensures basically that you end on a basket exactly and it's yeah. so much more exciting to the point where it's being adopted in even more places than that but we'll get to that point so moral story it's called the elam ending it's a really cool thing we should um, talk about who who introduced made that, that. Yes. yes and so today we have a very special guest on our podcast and actually uh someone who i didn't really even realize i was a big fan of because i just love what he made i didn't know who he was and uh <laughs> we have nick elam on our ending who is the namesake for the uh on our, i just said on our ending and we have nick elam on the podcast who's the namesake for the elam ending and uh we're so excited to have him so nick th- thank you so much for being here uh, we're, we're pumped to have you. We want to give that backstory because it actually is like a big deal to both Alan and I because we love basketball. We love that tournament. And it's been so fun to watch it. And your ending has a lot to do with how fun it was. So uh, and still will be. So so thank you, Nick, for, for being here. And we're pumped to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be on the show. Thank you for that kind intro. And yeah, I, I'm really proud of the Elam ending. One of its many purposes is to provide those great game ending moments. And so uh, that Travis Diener shot from the corner uh, to seal a 78-73 win for the Golden Eagles at TBT 2020. That's a moment that I will remember for many, many years, and I'm sure uh, big Marquette fans like yourselves will remember that for a long time too. Absolutely. And not only that, but I almost broke my ankle celebrating that shot. So I will remember <laughs> that for any 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 number of reasons, but absolutely that. That is the, the right comment to make there. That was That, that, that was great. Um, so, so Nick, you are, of course, in our eyes, we know you as the namesake of the Elam ending. Um, that is not your, your full-time thing though. Uh, you're a professor, um, at Ball State, correct? For, that is your, your full-time occupation. That's right. So, uh, my entire adult life or throughout my entire career, I've been a full-time educator. Now it's, uh, yeah, Ball State University where I work I'm in the educational leadership department. So I work with graduate students who aspire to become school principals and school administrators. That stems from my own background as a school principal myself in Ohio. And before I was a school principal, I was was a high school assistant principal and an athletic director. And before that, I was a a high school math teacher. And then, uh, so those have been my full-time pursuits. And then, yeah, I've had a number of different part-time jobs. And then uh, this big independent project too, uh, that's, has come to, to be as the Elam ending. So t- talk us through that project, right? When, when did, when did that start becoming a thing that was in your mind? Um, you know, and when did it start coming to fruition to actually make something like this? That, 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 I mean, t- you know, for lack of better terms, changes the game because it quite literally does, but yeah. uh, um, you know, for, for a number of reasons. So just t- like, tell us about how that came up and, and how you, how you sought it out. So I'm a lifelong basketball fan. I've, I've loved basketball since I was five years old. And so it was always disheartening to me how warped the style of play became at the end of the game. And, and quite frankly, 
in most cases, an inferior brand of basketball where the game clock has such an overbearing influence. So to me, the game as it stood was changing too much. And I was trying to find, well, is there some way to preserve that natural and fluid and exciting style of play that we enjoy for most of a game? Is there a way to preserve that all the way through the finish line, basically? So my intent was never to change basketball. It was really to do the opposite, to preserve that more familiar style of play. And then it was a question of how to do that. I remember uh, when I, in 2004, I was a senior at the University of Dayton and sitting around with all of my housemates who were all big basketball basketball fans watching March Madness and watching games end like so many we had seen before where it's just really intense competitive game and when it gets to the final stages of the game the air just goes out of the arena and all the athleticism goes out of the arena all the suspense goes out of the game where you have a a relatively close game uh, but where a slim lead just feels insurmountable so uh, we were kind of looking around each other thinking how well how do you how do you address these issues? How do you address the repeated fouling phenomenon? How do you keep a leading team from, from going into a stalled, very passive offense? Um, and how do we prevent these big games and good games from fading out with a whimper? We didn't have a great idea at the time. We didn't have a viable idea. We tossed around some ideas that, that were not sound, as like punishing the fouling team more harshly to discourage them from fouling. But the problem with doing that is, that would very likely backfire as uh, the NBA actually found out generations ago, they, they tried something like that and it backfired. It actually led to even more fouling and fewer comebacks than what they already saw. So we didn't have any ideas at the time that would work. We tabled that discussion. And so it was a few years later, we had all moved on with our lives uh, and the light bulb went on. I remember the day it was March 10th, 2007 watching an ACC conference tournament semifinal. The game was North Carolina State and Virginia Tech. Uh, Same kind of thing where the air just went out of the arena when what had been this really great game uh, because of all the fouling and stalling that was going on. And that's when it really hit me. Yeah, all these different phenomena that we see are somehow attributable to the game clock. And what if there was some way to eliminate the game clock from the final part of the game? and play to a score instead and wondering would that address these issues? And so at first I thought, well, there, there has to be some reason why this would work. Uh, At first I really started to explore and scrutinize it kind of out of intellectual curiosity to try to figure out, yeah, what was the problem? What was the flaw in this idea that I had in my mind? But as the weeks and months went on in 2007, the more I explored and researched this idea, the more that I really came to believe that the idea was necessary, that it was sound, and that it could be really cool as I started to play out these games in my mind and on paper, uh, envisioning what these games would look like. And so uh, by the end of the summer of 2007, I had convinced myself that this idea really had merit. And then the really tough part started of trying to convince people in the basketball world uh, that the idea had merit and had enough merit to even just uh, generate discussion and ultimately with the hope that it would be implemented someday. And that was a 10 year process of of reaching out to people before it finally came to life for the first time in 2017 at TBT, the basketball tournament. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's incredible that it, it, I mean, there's so much to unpack there with that. The fact that you kind of, you know, saw something had the, it came from a discussion with some college roommates 
And then you kind of built upon that and, and really invented something that now is first taking hold. Um, it is fascinating to me. Um, I'm curious because what we do is we talk about obviously like, you know, the, the success of running a business or, or having a side passion and the failures of it as well. Um, you said you reached out to a lot of people. Who did you initially have to reach out to or where did you initially take the idea of the Elam ending to? Yeah. So in late summer, 2007, by that time I had compiled my arguments, my findings into something like a 200 page, 200 plus page document that I was now ready to send out to people in the basketball world. And so I I created a list of dozens of people and a variety of stakeholders, uh, people who were in the league offices of different basketball leagues, conference commissioners in the NCAA, uh, different media members, uh, different uh, coaches, players, agents, whatever it might be, and just sending out this, this document with the cover letter, hoping to just generate some discussion. And, uh, you know, the initial responses, then I I remember some of those early responses, one that is still one of the most thoughtful responses I've gotten to this day was this 1200 word email that I got from Dan Bonner, who was a broadcaster uh, in the NBA and for college basketball who, uh, I mean, really, you could tell he put a lot of thought and and really read through my document carefully. Um, He wasn't ready to embrace the idea, and I wasn't asking him to. He was just telling me something that I think I already knew, just that these ideas or these changes to the game don't happen often and they don't happen quickly. He was kind of preparing me for that. Uh, I have a handwritten note from Jim Nance uh, from 2007 applauding my research effort and, and handwritten notes from different conference commissioners. And so again, it was, it was uh, exciting to get any kind of feedback. It was a little worrisome that maybe it wasn't generating discussion that I hoped that it would. I knew that it wasn't going to be implemented right away, but I was hoping that it might spark some debate or maybe create some sort of a time filler on sports talk shows, something like that, something that people could talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't quite doing that. So that was maybe the discouraging part. But I guess the encouraging part was that even those who clearly were not in favor of, of this idea being considered any further, they couldn't really tell me why it wouldn't work. They just kind of said that they they were fine with basketball the way it is. They couldn't really point out any um, tangible flaws in what I was proposing. And that was, that was encouraging to me because again, I really poured my time and energy and trying to scrutinize this idea from every angle I could trying to figure out, you know, if, if there's some issue with it, some flaw with it, I wanted to be the first one to, to find it. And I didn't want to waste anyone else's time. If it was a flawed idea, I thought it was pretty airtight by the time I sent it out to people in 2007 and again, when people were were uh, offering polite criticism, again they, they weren't they weren't really poking holes in it. They were just kind of saying, as a matter of taste, that they weren't ready to embrace it. So yeah. that kind of kept me going too. Is that um, I, I I didn't see any sort of dead end there. I just and I and to this day I still haven't seen a dead end with this idea. I always thought that there was some way to keep moving this pursuit forward, and that. I was just one day away, uh, one one person away from embracing this idea, one day away from a breakthrough, 
and that's what kept me going for all those years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what did you, you know, you got criticism from people. I think that it, it goes the same for anybody that's kind of an entrepreneur or any kind of inventor or anything. There's a little bit of doubt that would probably creep in. Did you have anybody thinking like, okay, this is kind of crazy. Like, you know, this guy's trying to change basketball, you know, in the sense of like, and, and like you said, not in the sense of fundamentally changing the game, just changing the ending, trying to make it a little more exciting. Did you have anybody, you know, that was kind of like, absolutely, this can't happen or anything like that or any kind of self-doubt that creeped in? That was, I guess, another part that was encouraging was uh, even though of, of, the, of all the people I reached out to, there was a pretty small percentage of people who actually responded in any way. But even those who did respond, they did so in uh, a courteous way and in a thoughtful way. And I think they saw that I took great care in my messaging to make sure to convey that I love basketball. Uh, and I think there's a way to make a great sport even greater. Because uh, I, I was going to spend a lot of my, word, my words to follow and criticizing the game and pointing out what I saw as flaws in the game. So I needed to make it clear up front that I really do like basketball, uh, (laughs) that it wasn't some hater trying to bash the sport in any way. Uh, And I think they, they could see that I was clear about that. I think they could see that I was trying to convey that I was knowledgeable without being a know-it-all here. I was as a basketball outsider, reaching out to people who uh, make a living in in the basketball world. Mm -hmm. And so if I acted like I knew more than they did, uh, then that was going to be an instant turnoff. And so, again, I, I think I found a good balance of um, showing that I had really dedicated a lot of time into this argument, made a, made a rational argument. And um, so, yeah, it, it made it so, you know, for, for me, I, I wasn't a jerk when I reached out to people and nobody's really been a jerk back the other way. Uh, it's all been uh, grown up discussion and debate, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's, that's really an important facet of, you know, people caught on of your love for, you know, for the game, which, you know, it'd be one thing of like, Oh, this game stinks. You know, this is why <laughs> it stinks. It's just like, that's a whole, a whole different conversation. I can imagine what the reaction would be. So what was, what was the moment you had your first, you know, uh, like, like exception to the point of, of putting it into the game, you know, like, was it, was it TBT or like, what, what was, what was the first thing that, that you were like, this is actually going to happen. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you say, when did I know that it was actually going to happen? That wasn't until March or April of 2017, when after a few months of, of discussion with TBT that they reached out to me and said that, that they've uh, given it due consideration. They, we're going to implement this on an experimental basis in 2017 in the preliminary rounds of their event. Mm-hmm. And that they wanted they, they knew that it was very important for me to have be credited as the originator of this idea. And so they said, we want to make sure that your name is attached to this idea. What do you think of the name Elam ending? And so that, that really meant a lot to me that they wanted to, to attach my name to it. And so it wasn't until then, and then in a couple of days to follow after that, when Zach Lowe uh, wrote an article about the Elam ending on ESPN.com, that I thought, okay, like there, like there's no going back at this point. It, yeah. It's out there, and this is going to happen. Um, I have to ask, with the naming of it, was there any concern because you are kind of dealing with intellectual property here to some extent? 
were you ever concerned that somebody could take this and all of a sudden it becomes the Adam Silver shot or, you know, something like that that is like, you know, somebody takes it and makes it their own thing and now you have no, I mean, you have your document, I guess, but was there any worry that they would take some variation of this and implement it, implement it into the game? There, there, that was always an underlying concern that I would pour my heart and soul into this concept and then uh, work all these years to get somebody to finally embrace it. And when they did, just kind of kick me to the curb and, and run off with my idea. Uh, that's why it was really important for me. I, I kept, I was very thorough and diligent keeping this paper trail all throughout the years. And um, yeah, my discussions with TBT, they knew how much it meant to me that there was going to, that I was going to be able to be traced as the originator of the idea. And so by, by naming it either mending and kind of planting that flag in that way, that's really been important. And um, now, you know, it's not just me making sure that that, that name lives on, but uh, you know, if you were to Google Elam ending, you'll, you'll find hundreds of different articles and, and different uh, outlets that where this concept and that name has been shared. And so uh, helping that, that really helps that term, I guess, and my name become ingrained in the basketball vocabulary. And that's something that's very important to me. Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. Absolutely. And it's, it's been utilized beyond the game, uh, beyond just the basketball tournament. Um, where else have we gotten the Elam ending? Where else has it been put into play? I always think it's really, really cool. Whenever I hear about any sort of what I would call a grassroots level league or event implementing it. And I hear all the time, you know, every Every few weeks or so, I hear about some different uh, youth league or rec league, AAU tournament, summer camp, whatever it might be, uh, throughout the United States or abroad, implementing the Elam ending. I think that's just the coolest thing in the world, and there are dozens of those types of leagues and events that have done that. But, I mean, the really – the most exciting development for the Elam ending since its initial implementation was the – implementation at the NBA All-Star mm-hmm. Game mm-hmm. in 2020 and 2021. Uh, close to that was also seeing it implemented in a FIBA league, a professional league, uh, a Canadian elite basketball league oh, in wow. 2020. Wow. That Gaining that foothold in the international scene is really, really important for the growth of this idea. But uh, it, it was amazing to me that from 2007 to 2017, here it was this 10-year span of me speaking on behalf of this concept, trying to get it implemented for the very first time. And then from its initial implementation in 2017 to not even three years later in 2020, now you have the greatest players in the world all on one court playing under the Elam ending at the NBA All-Star Game. That kind of rapid momentum, rapid growth uh, really showed what I had thought all along, which was once people get a chance to see this idea, then it's going to catch fire because the, the, I can only do so much in trying to paint the picture for people of why I'm so excited about this idea. But again, the, the concept speaks for itself much better than I can speak on its behalf. And when people see in action, okay, what is the spirit of this idea? How does it work on a practical level? How does it work? from a, just a cool entertainment level. Mm-hmm. Now that's when people, when other people get excited about it. Um, so again, 10 years for that first implementation. And just three years after that, that the best players in the world playing under the format. Yeah. 
that level of resilience is great. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, people give up easily. I think, you know, yes. and, um, and I, I mean, I would hand up, I've definitely given up on some stuff, you know, and if, if you know, it doesn't work the first time or you get rejected, whatever it is. And, you know, it, yours is so interesting. Cause you know, it wasn't like, you know, even, even the, like the rejections were still, you know, like, I, I, I appreciate the time you put into this. I think that probably helped you to propel like, okay, this is even people again, that, that, that didn't like it. I put that in quotes, you know, can see where you were coming from, see that you like the game. Let's, let's stick with this. Let's see what happens. Keep sending it out. You know, and it's, it's, it's almost like applying for a job is really like kind of where I was yeah. like sending out like a cover letter almost. Right. And, and, you know, this like enormous document naturally, but, um, you know, so I, I think like, and then seeing that and like, you know, when, when it gets implemented and then how quick it becomes mainstream, I mean, that moment of you watching the 2020 NBA all-star game had to be awesome. I mean, yeah. I could just imagine like, and like how it came to like, did the NBA like contact you? Were they like, Hey, that we want to use it. Like, how did, how did that work? Like, I'm just like curious, you know, cause using it on that stage, you know, you had to have been involved in some type of conversations, right? Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. So, um, make sure I, I get back to the, to the question you just posed there because, uh, yeah, I mean, things that kept me going, cause I think this kind of goes along with the spirit of your podcast is that this was never, um, something that my livelihood depended on. I had, you know, this was a side hustle mm -hmm. for me. This was a side project. Uh, I had other sources of fulfillment, of uh, income uh, that, that I had other sources of happiness that I could draw from. So anytime I felt discouraged, maybe in this Elam ending pursuit, you know, I could easily uh, look to other areas of my life that I knew, Hey, like I can draw happiness from it. And in other days, Hey, when I'm having a, a bad day as, as a teacher, Hey, then it works the other way. I can draw happiness from this exciting, crazy dream that I have to revolutionize the sport of basketball. And so that's, that's the best way I can say it is just, I think it's really important to diversify your sources of happiness and, and continuing with this pursuit for, for as long as I did again, it was just I never I never saw a dead end in it. The, even the people who were critical of the idea uh, couldn't point to a tangible, concrete flaw in the idea. Uh, totally. If they had, then I would have said, "Okay, like I'm I'm going to move on to something different." But it was like, "Hey, I I, I think I think this is really a sound idea." Um, as far as NBA All Star Game, yeah, I, I remember the day. It was January twenty third, twenty twenty. Again, this is after. Uh, nearly th 13 years at that point of reaching out to the NBA and, and pretty much in every case, it was one way communication of me reaching out to them, leaving my thoughts, my arguments, my findings at the doorstep and not really knowing where the discussion went from there. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but me clearly promoting this idea and hope, hoping that the NBA would embrace it. Uh, I got a call on January 23rd, 2020 uh, from members of the NBA league office. They, told me a few things. They said they wanted to thank me for my passion for the game and my innovative ideas for improving late game play. And they were pretty candid in acknowledging that they saw that there were flaws in late game play in the NBA. Uh, they shared with me that in their conversations with the players association, that the players really saw a lot of merit in the concept of an untimed finish to games. Uh, they told me that they were going to implement this concept at the NBA all-star game and at Chicago in 2020, and that they were going to send me and a guest all expenses paid to all-star weekend wow, to, to that's awesome. contribution. And that, so that was, that was really cool. So, I mean, that was, that was a call. That was a day that I will never forget. hundred percent. Uh, yeah. It was, it was, it's cool just because every time, uh, the, 
the Elam ending project reaches some sort of new milestone like that, it's cool for two reasons. One, because I get to look back retrospectively and think about all the progress that this project has made. That's one reason why it's really cool and exciting. But the other thing that's really cool and exciting is that I get to look ahead and think, okay, this is, this is just one more step forward out of what I hope are many more steps forward. And just imagining the possibilities for the concept and for myself of how this can continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on something there that I always like to bring up with guests too. Um, so I'm a, a music writer and, and worked in a job that was not writing at all. Uh, Jim is a motivational speaker and worked in a job that was not connected in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think both of us have had experiences where we've, you know, been doing our side thing, but maybe the people that we worked with didn't necessarily know about it. Did your peers know about this, at, you know, at the university? Did people know like, hey, he's a professor, but he also has this thing that he's trying to do with basketball and, and trying to kind of reinvent some things? Or or was it kind of more hush-hush in your, your day job, in your work, you know, your work environment? I love this question. This is going to be an involved answer here. <laughs> uh, so, so. I mean, again, when I go back to that spring of, and summer of 2007, and I've got this, this uh, concept that I'm really excited about, and it kind of turned into this impromptu research study that was really like my number one, it became my number one hobby that, that spring and summer that I was really consumed with, um, you know, spending odd hours watching and rewatching on VHS tape, you know, the endings of these NCAA tournament games from 2007 and jotting things down on paper and a spreadsheet. I mean, I, I knew, I knew enough that what I was doing was a little bit weird. And so for one, that was one reason why, like, I wasn't going to tell anybody right away what, what I was doing because it's like, like what's wrong with they, you? They were going to be like, they're going to pull, pull me aside and say, Hey, look, like you gotta, you gotta get yourself together here, man. What are you doing? But so that was one reason. But the other, the other part of it was, and again, I had no idea how long it was going to take for this idea to come to life, but I just, uh, you know, I, I tried to play out in my mind, what would these discussions sound like if I were to tell my friends, my colleagues, my family, all of whom I love very, very much. And I'm very fortunate to have great, wonderful people in my life. I tried to play out like, what would these discussions look like? And I think they would be, I think they would be supportive. I think they'd be well-intentioned in, um, uh, you know, supporting me in this concept. But then I, I would also think about like, well, you know, maybe, maybe one of my friends, uh, like I'm meeting one of their, or maybe I'm running into somebody for the first time in a few months or a few years. And, you know, they come up to me and like, Oh, Hey, I'm like, what, what's going on with that, that basketball thing you're doing? Like, is that, <laughs> is that going anywhere? And I'd have to, you know, sheepishly, I put my head down and say, ah, you know, like, Nah, it's not really, not really going anywhere yet. And then, then playing out again, what what would their next thing be? They'd probably offer some suggestion that I had already tried a hundred times already. Like, Oh, like, have you thought about reaching out to so-and-so? And And I'd be like, yeah, you know, I've I've done that, you know? Um, And so I just, I didn't like the way those conversations played out in my mind. And so I made the decision that I just wasn't going to have those conversations. So, so for all that time, I was reaching out to people, trying to get this idea off the ground, even though I was really reaching out, um, being very proactive and reaching out to people in the basketball world, very few of whom I actually knew, um, I really didn't tell 
any of my family or my friends or my colleagues about this uh, at all. And then it was in 2017 when knowing that this was going to be a thing, that this was going to come to life and be out in the open, that's when I had to start uh, telling people that, hey, I've had this uh, project going on for a while. <laughs> 13 and years. Start to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. I even had to tell, I remember TBT before they were prepared to attach my name to this concept, they wanted they wanted to make sure that I was a good person. So they actually asked me for character references. And <laughs> oh, so wow. I gave them these character references so they could call and they did. They followed up with it. But I had to go to those character references and say, hey, you're going to be getting a call from this basketball <laughs> event uh, wanting to know about me. So uh, just like I've, I've had this project going on for a while that you know, I haven't really talked about. So <laughs> and they really need was, a point guard. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it was kind of hilarious how that all played out, but I had a reason for it. I, I think it was the right way to go about that because I just, I didn't want to have to like put my head down and be like, yeah, you know, the basketball, yeah, that, that basketball thing. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not really, not really going anywhere yet. I don't think I could have, I, I don't think I would have enjoyed having those discussions for 10 years before being able to finally say, oh yeah, you know, actually it is kind of becoming a thing now. Right. Yeah. I probably would have done the same thing personally, you know, like I, I, I could see, you just wouldn't like, especially when you're excited about it and it hasn't, you know, totally caught on and you don't want to have to explain that every time. So I, yeah, I, I would, I, I understand that route is, you know, it's obviously subjective and people choose which, you know, which ways they want to go. But, um, I think that, I think that makes sense. Yeah. yeah the, 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 the reaction that I envisioned when I would tell people about it would, was polite head nodding. Right. Um, <laughs> and, I think there's probably nothing that can kind of squash the, the fire and intensity of a, of a crazy dream more than polite head nodding. And it's like, I just, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to face that, you know? So I, so I put it off for as long as I could. Got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, so what, what would, what is the most, like the most gratifying thing ab- about all of this, you know, with, with all the experiences you've had with you know, seeing a TBT and, NBA all-star game and, and, you know, what's to come, what's, what's, what's been, you know, is, is it just that you followed this and you saw it through and, you know, as a basketball fan, you're watching it. What, what is that thing to you that like, this is really what, you know, makes me so gratified about seeing this in action. One thing is that I would say, even though there's, there's really been a, a lot of um, consideration that I've had to give in the messaging all along this, I would say there's been very, limited amount of what I would call salesmanship to this. Uh, I, I truly believe in this idea. So like, so everything I say in favor of this idea to promote this idea are things that I truly believe in. I've never had to be uh, deceptive in any way, or I don't know, I don't know, like I've never had to embellish the good parts or downplay the the bad parts. Like I, I I really believe in this. I've been honest and upfront in, in the way that I, paint this and promote this idea all along. And so that's one thing that's great. I've been able to be sincere about this whole thing from start until now. And and I think I'll always will be. Uh, So that's gratifying. I think, uh, as I mentioned before, one thing that's gratifying is that this isn't like some um, accomplishment in my past that I just have to look back retrospectively on. It's something that I do get to look back retrospectively on in some ways, but just as much, I, I get to look forward to great games and great finishes under this format. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's just as much that lies ahead as there is uh, to reflect on. 
So that's another thing. And just, yeah, I think uh, really, I think the best kind of innovation is something that's practical and cool. I think mm-hmm. the human ending is both. I think uh, a good innovation is something that serves all stakeholders. And I really believe that it does that, whether it's uh, players, whether it's league organizers, whether it's coaches, fans, broadcasters or broadcast partners, referees, uh, people in the gambling world, whatever it might be. I, I really believe that the Elam ending serves all sorts of different stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are all uh, different things that I think uh, I've been able to draw um draw satisfaction from, I mm-hmm. guess. I know the, yeah. the first thing you mentioned, I just wanted to, cause I know we've, we've heard this common theme, I think from our guests and, and us too, is, you know, the sense that you've always been authentic in the way you've delivered this. You, you said you didn't have to be deceptive, right? It wasn't like a sales pitch. It was, I believe in this, this is going to work, you know, and it was never something. And I think we've all found some sort of authenticity in, in all the passions that we have, you know, yeah. with, with Megan and with myself, with, with Alan, we have a couple other interviews we have coming up, you know, people really, they, they believe in it and, and they're pursuing it and doing so relentlessly and it shows, you know, you yeah. don't, you don't need to, you don't need to bring up, you know, you don't need to lie about anything, you know, which is important. I think sometimes like there's, there's this sense of like, it needs to be something that's not and no, it's you. It's just an extension of who you are. And I think, I think you, you hit it. I think that's, that's spot out. You know, you like the fact that that was your first thing I think is awesome. You know, you really, you, you've talked about this for a long time. You're seeing it come to fruition in a big way. I'm frankly on a world stage when, right. you know, when we think about it. Uh, and, and I think that's awesome that it stemmed from this idea that you were passionate about in a game that you love, uh, and and it, and it sort of rolled and, and it became you know this thing. So I I think that's a that's just a really cool dot to connect for me. Yeah, yeah, and, and I absolutely think um, you know you're doing something that has changed the game for you know to some extent. What do you think the legacy of the Elam ending is for you? I mean, is this something that you want to live on you know forever, or is it? you want to see it grow and adapt what is next for you know the elam ending i do want it to continue to grow and i i I want it i want it to outlive me and i i'm 38 years old i hope i have a good uh 50 years left on this earth but i hope the elam ending outlasts that and it's really exciting to think about what the path is for this to continue moving forward Uh, i don't know what that is exactly but i but i am very confident that uh, we have not seen the, the pinnacle of the Elam ending just yet. I think it's going to continue to grow, whether it's in events that are under the umbrella of the NBA, whether it's events under the umbrella of NCAA basketball, whether it's in the WNBA, whether it's in the Olympics or international basketball, whatever it might be, high school basketball. Um, I, I mean, we just see events all the time continuing to implement this mm-hmm. and so I don't know what the sequence is of different of leagues and events adopting this, but I'm confident that it will continue to grow. So mm-hmm. yeah, seeing that, uh, seeing the idea itself grow is really cool. And then also thinking about what are the you know, indirect opportunities that might arise for me being known as the originator of this concept. And so, I, I mean, I've daydreamed about a lot of different things, whether those are different job opportunities or consulting opportunities, writing and speaking opportunities, even endorsement opportunities. You never, you just never know what, uh, what might come out of this uh, or having, you know, the, having the Elam ending referenced in pop culture in some mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. I, just lots of different cool things that could happen. And I think, honestly, I think will happen someday. Mm-hmm. 
I, I look forward to the day when I'm when I'm coaching my future son in, in a in a game and, and we and we have the elam ending <laughs> whenever <laughs> like that it. happens. Uh, so I know you know you mentioned with growth and, and this will keep going. I agree with you. I think this is going to go for a long time. And of course I'm subjective because I'm a big fan of it even before I met you. But um, you know I think what's been great about this is its growth. You know through through social media and with the NBA using it. And 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 based on that, you know I think one thing I want to mention. You know we'll kind of start you know closing this out a little bit in terms of how you and I met and uh, which I think is kind of a funny story and then how we've really sort of connected, you know, beyond that. But um, I, I love Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm a big, you know, Twitter guy. I'm going to say Twitter four times. There it is. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I get all my news off of it. I think it's a blast. I use it for for motivation, for comedy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I tweeted one day about how much I love the Elam ending. Just, you know, I was like watching a game. I think I was watching a TBT or whatever it was. I was probably, I was yeah, in, I was in Elam. I was just like, there's an Elam ending appreciation tweet. And then um, woke up, uh, the, you know, the next weekend after the NBA all-star game and, uh, and, and got an email from, from Nick Elam saying that, you know, I saw that you like this and I know you checked out my Twitter profile and, and I'm a speaker, you know, this is, this is what I do. And, uh, and, and, and I know, you know, we'll talk about that, you know, Nick, kind of your, your next steps in terms of what, you know, like what's, what's next for you. But uh, I think that is so cool that you can kind of have this, you know, this Twitter world. I threw that out there and I meant it, you know, and I've tweeted about the Elam ending before. And I, I think it's, I, obviously I think it's great. And my team benefited from it. So, you know, yeah, can't uh, beat that. That right? did help. I that see you, help. Travis Diener. I'm sure you'll be listening <laughs> to this at some point, but um, so, you know, having that and then the way that we connected and talked about just speaking and, and how it is, so I, um, I think that's really cool. And, and so I want to just hear, you know, uh, you know, kind of your next, your next goal and, and, um, what's, what's on your, you know, mind in terms, I know you just talked about this a little bit of like some of the things you can get more into and, and, you know, consulting or writing or, or speaking. And, um, yeah, I think it was, we, we really connected on that speaking aspect. So, um, what, you know, what, what is your you know goal? You know, what do you think is next for you? Yeah. So I, I always want to make sure that, uh, you know, things that I am doing, now, how, how can I continue to do those well and then still uh, grow in some way? So I, I am an educator first, and I want to make sure that I'm serving Ball State University, serving my students. Mm -hmm. And if I feel confident that if I can do that and look for uh, other opportunities, then, then I'm going to do that. I, I always like looking for creative opportunities and creative ways to look forward. So one of those I do think is getting into the, the public speaking world because I think I have a message that's exciting to share. Mm -hmm. uh, this, it's a combination of uh, being patient and being positive and being persistent and following a dream. Uh, like I mentioned before, that this idea of diversifying my portfolio of happiness and fulfillment, I think is really important. This idea, something that I do personally, is just regularly on a daily basis, taking inventory of the good fortune in my life. And I think that that has been important in this pursuit, that it's something I can look back on um, and have, and it brings me joy to think about some of these, even just baby steps that I've taken along the way, not knowing, having, not knowing uh, or having any idea how much this idea was going to grow. Um, and, and I think that the, all those different things, there's a way to form that into a message to share. And I, I, I think there are many different audiences that that could apply to, but I look back at my time as an educator in the K-12 world, whether mm -hmm. it's as a teacher at the high school level or, or again, an assistant principal at the high school level or principal at the four through six level, I think that sharing that message with students um, would be really exciting. And I'm confident in my ability and my experience in engaging young people of that age. And so, yeah, I think in the very near future, that's something that I'm going to explore is, is looking for uh, ways to share that 
that message with with students. Uh, I think that can, that can be a very positive message for them. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I think that there you've got a lot of qualities that um, any anybody that wants to be successful at anything mm-hmm. needs to have. I mean, there's the interaction of like talking to Jim, even to being like, hey, there's an opportunity here to kind of spread, you know, what you do mm-hmm. or, um, you know, whether it's relentlessly emailing and, and talking to people, there's a drive there. There's, you know, the focus to stay with something for so long. So this has been a blast. Yeah, I love it. I'm I love it. really glad that we got to have this conversation with yeah. you and got to uh, have, talk about what you were one, doing. One last know. question. Nick, one piece of advice you were to, to give yourself in 2007, um, watching that game, I'm assuming you're like 24, 25 years old. What was the one, one piece of advice you would give yourself at that time when that light bulb went on? Uh, well, one, th- one thing I want to back up and say is that if and when this, this uh, speaking opportunity does come to life, uh, if it's successful, it's going to be in great part because of the advice that Jim has shared with me on in discussions Separate from this interview, uh, Jim's really been generous with his time and insight and sharing uh, about how he has developed as, as a speaker. And so uh, I hope to stay in touch as Absolutely. I try to enter this world. So, so I'm, I'm already grateful for, for what you've shared. And, and uh, yeah, I look forward to an ongoing uh, colleagueship, I guess. Is, uh, <laughs> if we are- you can call it a friendship. It's okay. <laughs> it's an old wooden ship. We'll, we'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, hundred percent. The, the 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 feeling is mutual. So hundred percent. Uh, well, I mean, one I guess one piece of advice I would have shared is I, I don't know why. Maybe maybe it was just a different time. But in two thousand seven, I think even then, still things that were in hard copy seemed to have carried just a little bit more weight and legitimacy than things that were sent electronically. Mm-hmm. And so I when I printed this out, I didn't have a lot of money to spare at the time, but I would, I went to FedEx and printed out all this document and sent it out hard copy to people. If I could have gone back and redone one thing, it would have been just, just send it out as an email or as an email <laughs> attachment. Don't do that. I like so that, that. that would have been one piece of advice. Um, I think the other, I mean, yeah, I know I'm getting to like really technical stuff here. I think uh, looking for a more, uh, visually appealing way to, to share my findings because I, it was many years later when I finally converted this to a, a PowerPoint, which I know isn't sort of any sort of like groundbreaking technology, but I think the PowerPoint was a little more visually appealing mm-hmm. than the white paper presentation that I had been sharing uh, initially. So those are just some technical things, but um, yeah, again, just things that I thought at the time and I've, I've been able to carry through is just that I need to find the right way to compartmentalize this pursuit in my life. Because if it ever starts to take over um, my career responsibilities and obligations and pursuits, if it starts to take away from uh, my family and friend and social pursuits, things like that. If it ever starts to, if I'm ever starting to uh, pour more money than I have to spare into this, then it's no longer a joy to pursue. So I needed to find the right way to compartmentalize it so that it was just an additional source of joy. It wasn't taking away from the other sources of joy and fulfillment I had in my life. That was something that was important to me in 2007. And that's something that I've been able to uh, carry through to now. And I hope I always do. 
I love it. That is sound advice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you so much for for doing this. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Uh, If they do want to get in touch with you, if they want to follow you anywhere, um, where would be the best place to do that? They can reach out to me at Elam Ending on Twitter. There we go. There it is. Perfect. And, and that will be our when we when we post this interview, we will we will tag uh, Elam Ending in that, and and probably the TBT too to give give them some love. And yeah, absolutely. Make sure that's a thing. Um, Nick, th- this was a pleasure. I, it was just it was such a blast hearing your story. And you know, again, Alan and I are big basketball fans, and um, you know, it's it's, it's great to. I mean, this has revolutionized things, and I. Um, and I think we, I think it's here to stay. So we're, yeah, we're really, I was gonna really say, excited about that. <laughs> I do think that this is just the beginning. Yeah. And speaking of following uh, things on Twitter, oh. you can follow this podcast at Hustlin' Sideways on Twitter. And you can also follow us on Instagram as well. Um, you can also subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next time on Hustlin' Sideways. It's been a blast. <laughs>